Hello, and welcome to the DMV Business Show, a weekly show where we get to meet local business and community leaders in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. They get to impact their story and how they got there. You can expect to hear advice and learn about their journey and how they went from point A to point B. My name is Odo Sevilla, and I'm a commercial real estate advisor in the local DC, Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. I have been very fortunate to have worked with many amazing entrepreneurs and executives, from startup founders to international Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things I love about what I do is I get to form these great relationships with some interesting people. I get to know them and I learn about how it all started. And I love hearing a good business story. When I'm not working in commercial real estate, I just also happen to be the host of this show. So please enjoy and welcome to the DMV Business Show. Hello everyone, welcome to the DMV Business Show. I'm your host, Odo Sevilla. And today my special guest is Bob Klinger. Bob is the president, founder, CEO of Klinger Insurance Group. Welcome, Bob. Thank you for coming to the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm excited. Yes. Um, so as I was mentioned earlier, um, I like to start off, you know, before we start talking about now what you're doing now to start off with then how everything started. So if you can please share with the audience as far as, you know, where you're from, where you grew up. Well, I'm from a small community in Pennsylvania outside of Pittsburgh and um, I grew up um, there. And then I later joined the military at age 18 and served 20 years, six months and two days and 33 seconds. United oh, wow. You, <laughs> so you did everything. You did everything elementary all the way through high school in that town outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah, I went to school. I went to school up at Edinburgh University as well. Okay. And that is in Pittsburgh? Uh, no, that's up towards almost like Erie, PA. Okay. okay. Maybe north, um, north of Pittsburgh. Where, where, what town in Pittsburgh were you from? Uh, a small community. I grew up in East Liberty and later relocated to Jeanette, Pennsylvania. Okay. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of insurances in Pennsylvania. Well, there, there's a lot of insurance companies. In yes, yeah, yes, that's what between I meant. That and, between that and Connecticut, yes. Yes. Okay, so basically you grew up in, uh, outside of Pittsburgh, and then after that you went straight to the, Air, the Army or where? I went, I went straight into the Army. Okay. And the Army helped pay for my college and, I, and paying for my degree at Edinburgh University. And... Um, like I said, I was able to, I uh, was active duty for a period of time and then went out into the National Guard, then back to active duty again. What made you decide uh, to go from high school straight to the Army? Well, you know, my father died when I was little, and so I didn't have that role model there. My mother was uh, the man of the house and, you know, and my mother. So and, single mother? Uh, single mother, and I had three sisters, and um, I knew of, if I wanted to go to college, there was either two ways, either A, um, get a big loan, or B, um, maybe join the military. And somebody approached me about it, and I thought about it, I said, sure, why not, you know? I, you know? My grandfather was in the military, my father was in the military, and so it's something I want to carry on. Okay, you mentioned you had, it was you and three sisters, were you the youngest or oldest, or where were you I was there? Second oldest. Second oldest, okay. 
And growing up in Pennsylvania, how were you as a kid? Were you into different things or what were you into? I, 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 was, I was very active. My mother kept me very active, so I didn't get in trouble. So I was baseball, basketball, football, track, you know, bowling, skiing, you name it, hunting. Okay. Oh, wow. So you were very busy then. Oh, yeah. So, and she was the one taking you besides you with your three sisters going around to all these different activities. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I, I have one child now and I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> She had four. And she was amazing. So. And she was by herself. She must have been. Yeah. Plus, I'm sure she was working full time, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, she'd be dropping one of us off and then she'd go to the next one and she'd make her circle around and come back around and get us. That's tough because even myself with three little ones and sometimes my wife and I split up, but that's the only way we can conquer. I can't even imagine alone yeah. a single, you know, single woman with, with four children going to yeah, everything. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm very blessed. I have an amazing mother. Okay. That's good. That's what it sounds like. Okay. So then you, you went to the military and, and there you said you did how many years, Bob? I did 20 years, six months, 17 days. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so you probably, you were everywhere throughout the whole world. Oh yeah. I spent a lot of time over in Europe, Germany, then I spent some quite a bit of time in the middle East, Kuwait, um, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, Amman, Jordan, Wow. Thank you for serving. Yeah. Thank you. What were you doing with them? What was your role there? Uh, my last mission was I was, I was an infantry commander and um, a part of my time there was a hunter killer team. We'd go after certain individuals that were on the list to kill or capture. And then uh, the other part was in charge of the first Iraqi election ever held in Iraq. You were there on the ground? I was on the ground. I was running it in Tikrit. I was wow. in charge of I was in charge of it. Okay. I didn't know that. Wow. And and the greatest thing about that, I take pride because as they were blowing up all the election sites, not one got through my defensive perimeter. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, no, I was there. I was uh You must have fact, seen a lot. We did. I I did. I uh, a lot of good, a lot of bad, you sure. know. A lot of things, you know, you don't want to remember. Um one of the times I remember is uh, when Secretary Rumsfeld came into town because we would provide security for President Bush and a lot of dignitaries when they would come in, we would lock down the area and make sure everything was secured uh, for their visits. And um, he was in Kuwait and one of the uh, reporters from CNN put a soldier up to ask a question of why don't soldiers have enough body armor? And that went viral for about a year. We're sending our kids in the combat with not the right equipment. And I was in there providing security that day. And it was funny because I was meeting with Secretary Rumsfeld when I got a picture with him. And then later in life, I got injured. I met Secretary Rumsfeld at Walter Reed and he gave me the picture of me and him and autographed it. So it's still uh, in my office. Okay. That was, it was pretty a cool thing. That is nice. And after 20 years, what made you retire or well, you know, what happened was when I got pulled back into the war after 9-11, um, I was a two and a half years in active duty. I had a, got pulled away from my business to go back in. I got blown up on 1 February 2005. And so it put me in a hospital for almost two years in Walter Reed. And this so, was where? And uh, this was in Iraq. What happened. Wow, okay. okay. The day after the first Iraqi election. You got blown up. Yeah. 
So a bunch of buildings blew up, which hit me, which threw me, which, okay, you know. Wow. Okay. And you were in the hospital, you said, for two I years? Was, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was at Walter Reed. I was, uh, I first went to Lonsdale, Germany. I spent time there for medical. And then they sent me down to Texas for surgeries. And then I went to Walter Reed for surgeries. And then I went down to Richmond. And then I came back. Okay. Yeah. And then after that, that's when you were? Yeah, at that time, I had like six months to, uh, to retire. And um, between President Bush and uh, General Peter Pace, they both kept me on active duty to finish out so I can get my retirement and benefits and all that stuff like that. Okay. Now, during these 20 years, you were 20 plus years, Bob, you were mm -hmm. serving. Were you also, was just 100% there or were you also doing something here once you came back home? Um. So I had a business. I had a business back here too as well. Okay. This business. Yeah, yeah this business. Okay. That's right. Okay. I, I had to leave it and put people in charge of it for a period of time. And then when I came back um, and I was going through rehab and things like that at Walter Reed, that's when I wanted, that's when I decided that I wanted to move my office and build a building and expand my business and things like that there. So how was, so dur during your military career, how, how was this, I'm trying to think of the timeline, how was the business, the insurance business established or do you? Well, do you mm -hmm. So what happened was if you're looking back in time, I, w I spent six years active duty. Okay. Okay. And then I went into the national guard. Okay. Which allowed me to be able to run a business, but go away. And then I got called back to active duty again when the work broke out. And so when I left at the time, my office manager and my wife ran the business Okay. while, while I was away. Okay. And then when I got injured and came back, well, going to rehab in the hospital and all that, um, I knew I wasn't going to go back. I knew I couldn't go back because of my injuries and I needed to think about other things. And not only that, at the time when I left, my son was uh, um, three months old. So when I deployed, my son was three months old and I didn't see him for two years. And wow. so that, you know, I realized I'm no longer that 19 year old kid jumping out of airplanes. There's, it's not my life anymore. It's about the people around me that I love. Yeah. So I need to be a little bit more responsible. And so at that time I figured it's better for me to retire. Okay. So you established your insurance business when you were in the National Guard? Yes. Okay. And this was like early 2000s? Uh, it'd be, no, I'd be mid to late 1990s, like 94, 95. Okay. So 94, 95, that's when you got into the insurance business. That's right. Okay. How, how'd you get into the insurance business? You know, I was, um, after I left college and all that, you know, I, I wanted, I was going to go on to law school, but then I got burned out with the military and I wanted to take some time off before I continued on. And, um, I met a girl at the beach and she told we were, we were dating and her dad was in the insurance business. And, and is this in Pennsylvania or where is in, this in Pennsylvania, in okay, Pennsylvania. Okay. So this is, you go, you go back home. Okay. All yeah. Right. And so okay. I'm in Pennsylvania, go away to the beach for the summertime. And then I met a girl and a girl introduced me to her family and her dad was in the insurance. And he said, I think you'd be good at it. And I said, ah, I don't want to be that ball headed insurance guy. You know, I want to continue <laughs> maybe go to law school or something. And then I started thinking about it more and more and more. And I said, eh, maybe I want to take a little bit more time off. Maybe I'll just try this insurance gig, see how it works out. So 
I went to interview with a bunch of companies, Mass Mutual, Northwest Mutual. They were all life insurance companies. And so I chose Mass Mutual. And a part of it was because my dad died. And my dad was a big believer of life insurance. So it left my family pretty stranded. And so the first six months in the business, I paid out two death claims. Wow. And that's pretty rare. You know, they were mm -hmm. great things that happened. But it really made me understand about promises made, promises kept. Because, you know, uh, with us, we sell a promise, a piece of paper. If something happens to you, we're going to be there for you. Where with you, you're giving people cash, you know, to run a business, to open up a business. So it's different. Ours is intangible. Uh, and sometimes it's, uh, it's selfish because it's not benefiting me. It's benefiting the people that I love, or I care about. Mm -hmm. So uh, after the first year, I was the number one agent in the country for Mass Mutual. And out, of, out, of, out of how many agents? Out of all rookie agents in the United States. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so I got, when you get to be number one, a lot of people start wanting to call upon you. And so sure. um, there was a small company called Erie Insurance uh, that called upon me. And one of their big agencies wanted me to come down to um, go to Maryland to help them build a life and health book of business. So I, I said, oh, what, what the heck? You know, it's a different change because in, in Pennsylvania, you were either, uh, it was a blue collar town and there's so many small businesses going out of business that's um, i'm ready for that big change so i go from a two lane to a six lane you know highway here in maryland i'm like these people drive like maniacs i didn't realize three weeks later i'd be one of the maniacs as well <laughs> and um yeah so i start working for the agency and we start doing real well they start doing real well but i didn't like um some of the practices um the way the owner ran his business you know, um, you know, I, and I realized real quick, like that I didn't want to work for somebody else and I want to give my clients a different experience, you know, and I, I felt that if I sold a product to them, I want to be there for them. I wanted to be able to educate them and grow with them. So I, I had a non-compete, so I had to start all over again and, um, uh, started from scratch again, zero clients. And I built up, uh, uh, book of business. So we formed a company called Klinger and Associates Inc. at the time, and we did life and health. And then uh, late 90s, we got into the commercial market and we started some niche programs in the dry cleaning and then in the restaurants and then in the hotel motel. And we niched. And then um, a lot of times the military helped me out because it helped me understand about how to market, how to sell. And um, in Pennsylvania, you were either white or African-American. Um, you really didn't have any minority or diversity back then. Okay. I mean, there may have been a few, so it wasn't here. Here in Maryland, I'm the minority, you know? And so I realized real quick, like, if I'm going to get in these markets, I need to understand the way they think, the way they do business, maybe be able to speak their language. And so I start doing some market studies saying, okay, if I'm getting in a dry cleaning market and they're all telling me um, I'm not interested, how do I break into that? Well, at that time, 75% of the dry cleaners in our area were Korean. And they like to do business with people that spoke Korean. So I need to hire people that spoke Korean. And then I need to figure out, okay, what agencies were they buying the insurance from? It was like two agencies. They were Korean owned. And the only reason why they bought from them is because of language. It wasn't because of service. It wasn't because of coverage. It wasn't because of price. So once I figured it out real quick, I said, okay, we're going to give you 
somebody that you could speak to, but then we're going to give you amazing service. We're going to educate you on your coverage and we're going to try to get you the best possible price. And that's how we built our dry cleaning business uh, nationwide. And then we went into the nail salon industry, which is about 90% Vietnamese. And we did the same thing. I hired staff that spoke the language. We found out what carriers they went to, what ages they went through, and wherever the, whatever it was, we made it better right across the board. And so again, it was perfect. And then we went into the Chinese market, the Chinese restaurants and Chinese wholesalers, and we did the same thing. So for the last 26 years, we speak nine languages in my office, and we have over a little, maybe about 10,300 clients. That's amazing. Not many people do that. And I know several people in your business, in the insurance business, Bob, that just like you said, there are certain verticals and niches if you're in a certain type of business that are typically run by a certain minority group. And that's not always the case, of course, not, not 100%. But you're one of the very few that I've seen that actually thought differently and made those changes to your business model. Well, what I, you know, you think of uh, the old Stephen Covey, the seven habits. You know, one of those habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. So you need to understand the way they do business, the way they think, what's important to them. It's not about me, it's about them and giving them that experience that they want. What I found out was is that they weren't getting educated, they were being sold, okay? And then when something happened, there were disappointments because the care would say, you're not covered. And so I would explain to them in detail, you know, the coverages and let them make the decision, but we would continue to educate them throughout the years. And also um, in the, a lot of, in the Asian markets, if you do good for one, they're gonna tell 10 people because that's the way they are. They're very good at sharing because they care about their family membership. People have immigrated over to them. They want to help each other out. But if you do bad for one, or they thought you did bad for one, they're going to tell 20. So you better make sure you're on your A game all the time. Because, yes. you know, that's the way it works in those industries. And so we, we started doing that. Um, we niched in 11 different industries. Um, and then I got on the public speaking role with, so I sit on various insurance boards and organizations. The two biggest ones in our industry was PIA, which I was on the board for for many years. That's Professional Insurance Agents of America. The other one was the Big Eye, Independent Insurance Agents of America. I sat on their board for many years. Now I'm on the board of the CPIA, which is the AIMS, which is the Association for Sales and Marketing and Education. I'm the board president of that. Um, it's amazing because I've lobbied on Capitol Hill, insurance laws and regulations. I lobby in Annapolis, insurance laws. Sometimes I lobby for insurance companies. Sometimes I lobby against insurance companies but it's always with the consumer's interest at best of heart, making sure everybody's doing the right thing for the right reasons. And so uh, it's amazing grow up in a small town, never thinking I was gonna get in this industry, never thinking I would be at the tops of the associations. And now um, up until COVID, I was traveling around the world speaking about sales and marketing insurance. Last year I spoke in Thailand to three different insurance companies. I spoke in Japan, to various insurance companies. I spoke in Singapore, I spoke in South Korea. Um, and it's, it's been an amazing situation because they look at me when I go to Korea and they're like, how does this white guy penetrate our market and do it better than we do it? Even the Japanese, you know, 
they were so amazed the way we our automation is. And you think Japanese automation, you automatically think they're going to be so much better than you, but not. They they use paper. They don't trust computers. They're worried about hacks, so oh. they have paper. <laughs> <laughs> so they use a lot of paper. So it's uh, it's been interesting. It really has. When you're going around the world talking, is it is it talking about what you just mentioned, or what type of topics are you it, typically? It, it depends on okay. what they're interested in. Sometimes okay. they're more wanting they're. Sometimes they like our social media platform and how we do our social media. Okay. So I'll talk about social media. Sometimes it's about sales and marketing. Sometimes it's about how to niche and niche markets. Uh, and so it's various topics depending upon what their needs or wants are. Okay. You mentioned earlier about you learned, I believe you mentioned you learned in, a, in the military about marketing. Mm-hmm. What that 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 caught my attention. What was it exactly? Well, when we okay. first went when we first went to, in Iraq, you know, in 2003, we were losing a lot of people and a lot of people were getting hurt. And the problem was, was we didn't understand the culture. We were war fighters. We know how to do what we do very best. Okay, but we didn't understand the culture. It, you know, we come in and do you think that if I'm coming in your neighborhood and you did the same thing for 30 years? I want to be able to change your mind overnight. It doesn't happen that way. And so when we realized that the, the Pentagon sent over a bunch of military officers over to Amman, Jordan, and we stayed in a terrorist training camp, no lie, terrorist training camp. We weren't allowed you, to have weapons. You, you, you stayed in the terrorist training camp? Yes. Okay. What? And they're guarding us. Oh, really? The U.S. The US government's paying them money um, to educate us on the way they think. Okay. And so I remember this general, and he was saying everything about America. America's bad. America's this. You know, you know, we hate you. Everything about your way of life, the way you know, just everything. And I'm thinking, the government's paying this idiot to tell us this. We should just kill this guy. You know, this guy's <laughs> crazy. You know. It's, it's, yeah. It's not, but you know what? It, it was the eye opener because we didn't understand the way they felt. And the whole part of it, it didn't sink into the end is that like, look, you're coming into my country. We were born and raised this way for many years. First of all, you don't shake my hand. That's offensive. You go, salam alaikum. You know, you don't sit that way because if you show the balls of your feet, that's offensive. You don't look at my women. You don't smile at them. You don't talk to them because that's offensive. For us, if we see a lady, good morning, ma'am, good afternoon, ma'am. Sure. We would think that's the way. That's not the way it is there. Okay. Okay. In some cases, if you look at their wife and the wife smiled back to you, they would beat up the wife or possibly kill the wife. Wow. Okay. Okay. So then you have to understand, you know, there are some times in life where you cannot pose your will on everybody. We can spend all the money in the world to try to buy their hearts and minds, but you're not going to change it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to change it. And I realized that when I was there and I'm seeing seven and eight-year-olds flipping us off, throwing stones at our Humvees and thinking, how does a seven-year-old learn how to hate? You know, Mm -hmm. it's because you're taught that way at a young age. Okay. Okay. And how does a 12-year-old sit there and bury IEDs but want to kill people? You know, it's it's a mindset and you have to understand that that, uh, there are some civilizations that don't want to change. I'm not saying necessarily Iraq's that way, but some places are probably better off with dictators than others if they don't have the right infrastructure. Because you can see as we take dictators out, what happens? 
chaos comes in yeah. not sh and, and the people get hurt because you know there's the have and the have not and there's nothing in the middle and that's the way it works over there so the military taught me how to understand to take a step back and understand the way cultures work the way religion plays a part of it the way the hierarchy of maybe there's a spokesperson involved in that conversation um, it opened my eyes up to a lot you know um, we would always think that america is always number one and i still believe america is number one i i love red white and blue but you know what there's a lot of wonderful things out there when you leave america to realize that hey if you go to if you go to japan their airports are better than ours their infrastructure is better than ours their streets are cleaner than ours as a young boy i would never have thought that you know yeah. you go to seoul korea it's amazing there they have better infrastructure than ours in a lot of cases you go to Thailand. Thailand, their malls are seven stories. Every main brand, they have one whole floor of food, and it makes Tyson's Corner look like a dump. I mean, you know, and, and you look at their infrastructure in some cases. So you first perceive and think, oh, this third world country, it's going to be dirty, it's going to be bad, it's going to be this and that. That's not always the case. And I think once you leave the U.S., you get a sense of appreciation. So when I went to China two years ago with my son on a school trip, I got a very big appreciation looking at the sky because there were days there where you couldn't even breathe because the pollution was so bad. There were days we'd go to the Great Wall and you couldn't even see the Great Wall. And there were days you could see the Great Wall. So you had a sense of appreciation of having clean air, clean water, and not having to walk around without a mask until today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so those things help form my opinions on having an open mind to a lot of things. I'm, I'm glad, Bob, you saw that firsthand in the military. But many people were there in your shoes as well, but they didn't take it probably as you took it, correct? I'm sure they saw things. Maybe they changed slightly. Maybe they did. Who knows? You know, I think when you go to combat or you go somewhere, everybody has a, their own different experience or own different opinion. Whether one's right or wrong, it's regardless. But I, it made me fall in love with culture. I fell in love with diversity. You know, sitting down when you're in somebody's mud hut and they have no food, but they're walking you into their village to give you some chai, which is very good. Arabic tea is very good, chai. And you're sitting there and I'm not good because my knees are all banged up with the military jumping on airplanes, but trying to kneel down and eat chai is something. You know, when they put a goat, they chop the goat's head off and they got a goat on a platter with its head, with his eyeballs and tongue hanging out with bread and wanting to, to you know, to welcome you. Yeah. And you knew that they didn't have enough food to feed your family. So there is good out there. There's a lot of good out there. I agree. That's why I love traveling. Just, just, when you immerse yourself in different cultures. I agree with you 100%. I mean, whether it's culture, whether it's art, just I'm fascinated by different religions too, you know? Um, you know, I respect everybody's religion, you know? Whatever your belief is, but it's just, when you look at the architect and you go to like Thailand, or you go somewhere and you say, how did they build this? They didn't have Clark construction then. You know, how, how did that happen? It was amazing. I mean, so there's, there's just so many beautiful things to see and do. Yeah. 
out of everything you've you've done and, and you're going to do in the future, but what would you say is the driving motivator or factor in your life? What drives you? I think things have changed over the years. It's always about my family, but okay. I think now it's it'll always be about my family. But I think it's really about more than that now. It's 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 always been about family and trying to do the best I could do for my clients and really trying to protect them because there's nothing worse than seeing something really bad happen and um, they're not covered. And it's not because I didn't tell them, it's because they made a different choice. And so that bothers me sometimes there because it's not like we didn't tell them. It's sometimes people don't make the right choice, whatever that reason is. But I think now for me, the most rewarding thing is being able to give back to my community. I'm able to give back. We formed a, a nonprofit called Clinger Cares. And Clinger Cares is about um, giving back. So I'm passionate about military veterans, wounded military veterans giving back to them, raising money to help them and their families. I'm passionate about children. We have programs in all the schools in Germantown. Germantown's got 11 elementary schools. We have a backpack program for them. We have a Thanksgiving meal program for their families. We have a holiday meals ones for their families. Um, we have a bicycle reading program for kids. We go into the schools. For one month, we said you can read any book you want. You just put your name in a basket for every time you read that book. And at the end of that month, we're going to come by with a dozen bikes in front of the student body. And each grade is going to get to pull out a certain amount of names. And that person is going to want a bicycle, a helmet, a bike lock, and a safety vest. And the whole idea is just to help people learn how to read and to make reading fun. I don't care what it is, but just read. It, you know, and it's amazing. I had one kid come up and he was crying because someone stole his bike two weeks prior and he had one. I had one kid that read 34 books. I don't know whether they're small books, whatever, but he was so excited to win. You know, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, there's nothing like that. And so we've done things like that. We've done things where um, for two years we would take, we'd buy backpacks and we would fill them up with food for breakfast and lunch for Saturdays and Sundays, because the kids, when they would, low-income kids, when they would go home, there would be no meals there uh, for the weekends. And we did that every week. We fill them up and go again, fill them up, go again. So we do things like that for the elementary schools. We do reading programs, fire safety programs for them. Uh, middle schools, it's about sports. So we do a lot of sporting, the sport teams and things like that. High school, we do sports and we do internships. Uh, get the kids to come in, um, teach them different things. But most also, I treat them as an employee. I want them to learn how to dress for success. I want them to understand about posture, attention to detail. They'll come away knowing how to write a resume, how to articulate well, knowing how to show up on time, be on time, do what you say you're going to do, and follow through with it. And then we also go over the social media platforms because, you know, back in our day, if we did something, no one knew. Yes. Here, it's instantaneously, and they think everything's funny. So it's about educating them on the do's and do nots, and when you post it, it's out there forever. Yes. And so it's how do you build your resume, you know? And so we work with that, and we give them a scholarship too. Okay. And so they'll walk away with a scholarship to help offset some of their tuition. Um, so we do that. We have international interns. We get them from China and Korea. Well, they'll come work for us for six months. Uh, on risk management or some form of insurance and they go back to their country. So it's that exchange as well. Well, you're very involved. 
I'm curious. So we, support, we support. We have another. We have a couple other programs. This uh, during COVID, for example, a big thing was that a buy law, buy local, shop local. Yes. So um, we probably spent about ten thousand dollars buying food from local restaurants that we insure or don't insure, then donating the food to feed the fire department, donating the food to feed the police department, donating food to feed the homeless, um, and we would do that throughout the month of June. We did okay. five or six different locations. We support MANA. Um, we support uh, Rainbow Shelter. It's uh, abused ladies. It's a shelter okay. where ladies are abused and they have nowhere to go. It's an undisclosed shelter in Rockville. And so we've, we've, we've donated computers. We taught the ladies how to write resumes. And so they can go out and try to get their own jobs and careers. We've done, we're very active in the Boy Scouts. I love everything about the Boy Scouts. Um, you know, that's beautiful. Trailer. I'm curious. There are so many things you're involved with. How how do you select them? Do you, do you have anyone there in your team who helps with all this? Oh, yeah. Okay. I have, okay. I have one full-time person that does the community outreach stuff. Okay. And we know, for example, a year ahead who we're going to work with, whether okay. it's running car shows. So we try to do one a month. Okay. And with we um, there's another place that the, the food kitchen in Rockville where I send my employees are once a month to cook. They cook meals for the homeless. And so if you're going to work for me, you got to have a heart and you're going to do at least eight to 12 hours of community service. We'll pay you during company time to give back to the community. And that's a part of Clinger Cares. And so I have one person runs that for me alone, just make sure they tell me when to be, where to be. And then I have other people that run my whole social media platform. And we have, I have four people that work for me in the Philippines. And so they're working as we go down at five, they start up. They're doing what in the Philippines? Uh, they do a lot of our marketing. Okay. They do a lot of my social media platforms, my video work, um, all kinds of things. Okay, that's good. You mentioned earlier as far as giving proper advice to your clients, insurance advice, and in the end, whether they take it or not, that's their choice. I'm curious if you can give maybe a few tips for business owners, insurance tips as far as, what you, and I'm sure it would vary industry by industry depending on what business they're in but maybe just some general tips you can share with business owners that they should look out for, or you think that they will need, there'll be a benefit think, to them. I think whether you're a small business, mid-size or a large business, if you're a large business, naturally you have a board, you know what I'm saying? And you're paying these people for advice. But if you're a small business, you could have your own board. And when I tell people, they look at me like, oh, yeah, find that attorney that you trust that's going to help you set up your le your legal articles of incorporation, your agreements, review the lease. Find that that local banker that's going to help grow with you. That's going to help you set up with your bank accounts, your lines of credit, and things like that. That's on your board. Find that CPA that's going to give you good tax advice that understands. And then find that insurance professional that works for many different insurance companies, not just one, that's really going to help you grow and give you advice. I tell people this, look, I'm not an attorney. I'm not practicing to be an attorney, but give me the insurance section of your lease. This is the insurance part, because I can review that and tell you where you could probably negotiate, tell you how much that's going to cost you before you sign that lease. You know, because there's some people that just sign it and they think they can't negotiate anything. And then they realize they have a heart attack that they're paying $10,000, $20,000 a year for insurance when their friend down the street was paying half that amount. Mm -hmm. So I, I like to begin with the end in mind. So let's do a little bit of risk management and prepare. 
and see what is necessary. And then I explain to them, what does that mean? Is that relevant or not relevant? And then they go back and work with their broker. And then that broker works with that, you know, that landlord or that shopping center or whatever. And, and they try to find the win-win. But it's better to do it before you sign a lease because after you sign a lease, there's not, no, not much negotiating on that. Yes, very true. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we do that. Um, we like to hold their hand. And I, I think it's important when you're looking for an insurance professional, you want one um, that invests in technology. Um, we just wrote up a new phone app where they can print out their auto ID cards. They can do their own insurance certificates. They can make changes 24 seven, you know, on their own, but then they also have a dedicated customer service rep. That person, it's not a 1-800 number. You get whoever, no, you build a relationship with someone who specializes in personal lines that can help you with your auto, your home, your umbrella, your boat, your motorcycle, or someone in the commercial lines department. It's one phone call but you have access to over a hundred different insurance companies. I love that. I love especially the part as far as, even though you're not a large organization, you can make yourself your own small board of professionals of and advisors. You build that team yes. around you. I mean, yes. you know, uh, don't be afraid to think outside the box. You know, a lot of times I get a lot of great advice from outside people other than insurance, you know? And so there's some, there's a lot of similarities, you know, you can, you can play off of. I feel the same way. There's a lot of other industries, even like yours um, or others that you see what they're doing. And I just think about how can I incorporate that into my business or something similar, at least. Um, you mentioned earlier your team um, and surrounding yourself with the right people. I'm curious, how big is your team? I know you mentioned you have four people in the Philippines, but I know your team is much larger here, even in the States. So you know, how many do you have? How do you find them? How do you staff them? I have a staff of 22 amazing individuals. They are very talented. Most of them are multilingual. I, I'm the minority in my company. <laughs> and I'm very proud of that. I have, I have 90% ladies that, that I work. I love them. They, oh, really? That's awesome. They, I tell you what, they can walk and chew gum and do many different things, you know. They can multitask. And they, their listening skills are so much better. I think, no offense to you or I, yes. but, but they, they have an extra sense of something they can pick up. Um, but they're caring and compassionate, but they're students of the industry. And so it's very hard to find good talent, you know. And I, honestly, you know, it's been three years where um, you hire slowly and fire quickly, you know, unfortunately. And, and I, I don't think I really have had to fire people. I think people realize it's, it's just not a good fit for them. Yeah. You know, we move at a very fast pace and there's a high expectation of what I expect. I, I'm not in the business of giving clients service. I'm in the business of giving you amazing service. Okay. That is important. You know, you shouldn't have to call me. We should be calling you. We should be educating you. We should be explaining to you. Okay. And that's a very big thing about being proactive versus reactive. And so I demanded of my staff. And you know what, if we drop the ball on something, you know what, I, I'm going to hand write you a letter and say, hey, I'm sorry, they didn't follow up on the phone call, or whatever. Here's a, you know, Starbucks card or whatever. I really appreciate it, you know. But we created a rewards program for our staff and for our clients. We have a VIP rewards card. It's called the Klinger Platinum Card, okay? Okay. And it gives you access to over 100 companies where you can get discount tickets for movie tickets, sporting events, restaurants. Hotels, motels, rent-a-cars, you name it. And you get that by being a client of ours. 
And so we're always trying to find a way to give back to you more than you're giving me. I love that, Bob. What, what advice would you give someone who's just starting out in the insurance business today? I think, you know, this is a tough one because when you hire people, they always see somebody at a higher level. Yeah, sure, someone to aspire to. Yes, yes. and that's, that's a wonderful attribute. But you know what? You have to do the fundamentals, okay? You, you have to be a student in the industry. You've got to make the phone calls. You've got to make the walk-ins. You've got to get in those networking groups. You know, um, you have to build your brand and build your image. You know, and that's very, very important, you know, that people are always judging you and looking at you. Whether you, whether you think it or not, they are. When you walk into my office for an interview within eight seconds, you, you have a, a good sense of opinion of what you're dealing with, what, you know, what's going on. And so for me, I think if someone coming into business, I'm saying, look, when I first started out, I worked seven days a week, 16 hours a day. I'm not saying you have to do that, but what I am saying is if you want to be successful, you need to be a student in the game. You have to be educated. You got education's ongoing. You got to read books. You gotta, you gotta, you know, um, do the things that people don't want to do to be successful. Because if you ever read, um, you know, 10X, you know, or, or any of the other books out there, you gotta do 10 times the amount more. Yeah. You have to hustle and you have to, you know, provide amazing service and you gotta know what you're doing. But then if you don't know what you're doing, you have to have a good mentor that's gonna help you grow, you know? Look, we all have up days, we all have down days, but you know, um, if you keep going at it, things are gonna happen. You know, whether it's joining a Rotary Club, a BNI group, or some type of networking group, being out there and being honest with people. The, there are people out there that are extremely insurance savvy and they're testing you. And they're testing you to see whether you're gonna say um, something that's not true. And when somebody asked me a question, and I always told my staff, they ask you a question you don't know, don't try to BS them. Say, that's a good question. Let me find out. And then go find out and get them that answer or get them that information. But don't try to be something that you're not. Yeah. They're going to figure it out real quickly. And once you lose integrity, you never get that back. You can lose somebody's money and they'll be mad at you. But if you lose your honesty, you have nothing at the end of the day. You mentioned just now about building and developing a brand and you also mentioned social media and you have a pretty good yeah very good social media following how did you develop that how do you do that and you actually don't see that that often in insurance agents you know it's funny um up until about four years ago i wasn't even active in social media i didn't want to be found and the reason being is because of my military background okay there was a point in time where um People didn't want to be found because they were looking to hurt sure. people and their families, you know, yes. or what happened thousands of miles away. Mm -hmm. So I, I want, I, I was always about a low key person. You know, I didn't want to be the guy in front of it, be the guy doing the work behind the scenes. And then someone said, Bob, look, you've done so many great things. You volunteer for so many things. Nobody knows what you do. I'm so amazed. I'm like, That's not me. And so um, they said, they pushed me a little bit, you know? Okay. And so we started, we started out doing educational pieces. And then we just started talking about what we're doing within the community. And um, now I think, I think we're up to like 28,000 on LinkedIn and Facebook. So we use all the platforms 
but really it's more about educating and informing. And that's not so much selling, probably 20% what you'll see out there is about something about sales. It's about things that are going on in the industry. We made disaster plans. We made COVID plans for businesses getting back to work. What happens in a hurricane season? You know, um, explaining insurance sometimes, you know, it could be very confusing. You know, how to shop, how to find the best price. But a lot of things is just good things. You know, your, your kid's going to be team driving, you know, cyber bullying. What does that look like? What is the exposure? You know, all types of things like that. So it's, it's trying to, you know, we, we realize with Pinterest, for example, um, most men aren't on Pinterest. It's predominantly ladies, but they are the decision makers. And so you can create things in the Pinterest mode, which you will get an activity with. You really will. I mean, I got one of my biggest clients just off a simple post on Facebook that came on and said, wow, and it's a telecom company. And so, it, it, you know, they liked what we did. They were seeing us more than they were seeing their other agent. And they're like, oh, they didn't tell me about this. Oh, they didn't tell me about that. And they're, we're just possibly in their feet. I'm glad you mentioned that. In that example with the telecom client, was it one specific post, Bob, or was it just you were just consistently in front of them? I was consistently in front of them, but it was, you know, it was just about things that were going on. We have a social media calendar that goes out 12 months. So we know there's certain things, there will be floods going to happen around this time, hurricane season, whatever, and and the holidays and just, just different things that are helpful for people, okay? And um, we're consistent about that. And if you know anything about us, you'll realize we're patriotic, red, white, and blue. You know, um, we love our community. We love giving back, Clinger Cares. um, And we're about informing people, okay, and educating them. And I think that's what people like sometimes. People don't like to be pushed. They don't like to be sold. They like to be informed, okay? And so that's what we tried to do. And I think that's where it's been very beneficial for us. I mean, I look now, for example, um, I look at the Google reviews, for example. I mean, we just started asking and we we got over a hundred and some odd Google five-star reviews. And these are people, some I don't even know, but they've dealt with my staff. And it's amazing when you look at that. Now you think, okay, out of 200 and some odd reviews total, not one gave you less than five. You're like, is that planet? No, it's not because they're very precise about the experience they got from our, my staff, whether it be the young lady up front, I call her the director of first impressions. She's not a receptionist. She's the first impression when you call on the phone. If she's friendly, nice and helpful, you remember that. If she's rude, you remember that. Yes. You know, If you come in and she greets you with a smile and she's helpful, you remember that. If she greets you in a not so polite way, you remember that too. And so it's, we do audits on our phone calls within the office. And, it, and sometimes the employees will cringe because we record every call. And it's really for quality assurance, you know? And so it's helping them become better customer service reps, helping them um, explain a difficult situation. So they're teachable moments. And, and so we do that quite a bit. And then I audit their files quarterly too to make sure things are accurate, things are right, you know? And, um, there's a check and balance for everything we do. At the end of the day, it's, it's to A, protect the client, B, protect our company, and do the best we can do for our insurance carriers as well. 
That's good. What would you say are some skills or habits that you've developed that helped you be who you are today? I think listen skills, very, very important. Because anytime you're in sales, you want to talk and take over the conversation. You want to sell your product. Okay. And I love going out seeing clients. And I just love asking a few questions and sitting back and letting the client talk. Because the client will really tell you what they want, what they're interested in, what their beliefs are, what their values are, uh, what their pain points are. And, and that's really where you really just build some amazing relationships. I mean, we have clients that have been with us from day one, you know, and that's really, and it's neat because now their kids are becoming my clients. So I'm really showing my uh. age now. <laughs> and, and that's kind of reborn because I can remember seeing their kids with their, um, the baby's on my lap, you know, yeah, or, yeah. or whatever they're running around. And so you just build some amazing relationships with people. And so I think listening skills is very important. I think um, follow up. Many times in our industry, people don't follow up, you know. Yes. And I think you need to understand, you know, back in the day it was making phone calls. Nowadays, people don't pick up their phones. They're, unless they're, you know, they, some people have clients that love email. Some people don't like emails. They like text. Yes. Understanding how a person wants to be communicated with is very, very important. And all you got to do is ask. They'll tell you, but you need to ask. Very and, true. And so, and, and so that's important to us too as well, of making sure we're being effective and communicating with them the way they want to be communicated and paying attention to what their precise interest is. If they're in racing or baseball or whatever, I'll remember that. And if I have tickets or if there's an article I see or something like that, I'll send it to them. It has nothing to do with insurance, but it has something to do with they have a passion or a like or an interest. Okay. So now we're entering the fast round. Bob. Fast round, basically, I say a statement and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Okay. Sure. All right. Fire away. What is your biggest challenge right now in your role at Clinger Insurance Group? Growth. Okay. Growth meaning? You know, when you grow, you need to be able to make sure you have the right service and the right automation platforms so that no one gets left behind. And so there were times where we were growing 15 to 20% a year and I didn't have the right technology platforms to keep pace with it. Now okay. we do. So that's very important. You can grow, but your retention is just as important, if not even more important. Okay. What do you wish you would have known? What do you wish you know now that you would have known back then? If I, I think if I knew what I know now, then I would have took out a big loan and really invested in technology. CRM systems and things like that. When you first start out, you don't have money. Sure. You know, so you're starting from scratch. Yeah, you bootstrap thing. I mean, because now when you're trying to input 10,000 clients into a HubSpot CRM system, it's time and tedious. And there's a lot of data mining that comes into your data, you know, of things that you don't realize. If you would have had it set up from day one, it would have made life a lot easier. Okay. When I say success, when I say the word success, who is the first person that comes to mind? My mother. My mother, you know, she had a cleaning business, does a cleaning business for 50 years. Never have a, ever, never had to advertise, you know, never. And she's been very successful. And it's not only with her little small business, 
but I think the way she raised her children too. I love that. Who would you say is your biggest, that has been your biggest mentor and what did you learn from them? I would say my mother again, honestly. Okay. You know, whether I've had good days or bad days when I first started out or even now, is whether it be family, being a parent, understanding your teenage son, you know, just everything. And three, I mean, three teenage daughters too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, I've had many mentors throughout the years. There are older gentlemen that were in the insurance arena that I could talk to, you know, or I could follow. Um, but I think, honestly, my mother's amazing. Okay. What does the next five years look for you and for Klinger Insurance Group? Well, what's the vision? You know, we will continue to grow. Um, we're in 19 states now. We'll probably be in all 50 states. Um, right now, we're working with Lloyd's in London and running our own insurance program where we can have Lloyd's insure the paperwork on it. And insurance agents will be buying the insurance to us to sell to the consumer. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. So that's one um, technology, chat box, you know, data mining, okay. all these things like that. And, and again, I like talking to people, but there are certain people that don't want to talk at two or three in the morning, they just want answers or whatever, things like that. Mm -hmm. So technology, 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 and data okay. mining. And, and lastly, Bob, what do you like to do for fun in your free time? Um, I think the greatest thing in my life is being a dad. You know, I just came back from uh, St. Thomas with my son and six Boy Scouts. And we snorkel, we scuba dive, we learn how to sell. Um, I think being a parent is the most rewarding thing you could ever do in life watching your child uh, grow to be a young man. And, and, uh, and I love teaching kids different things that they, they never thought of. They had fears or they didn't think they could do it and watching them be able to achieve it is their greatest reward. That's great. How old is your son now? My son's 16. Oh, wow. So he's, uh, he's going to be in college soon. Yeah. Yep. He's a, uh, this weekend we're doing his Eagle Scout project and that'll be, uh, Eight years in the making, I, I happened to say to my assistant the other day, eight years, and the last three years, we've hiked, hiked over 272 miles, full backpack. We've sailed uh, over 68 miles living on a boat. Um, nautical miles, I'm not sure what that is. We biked the Seanel Canal twice. That's 180 miles twice. Gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> we biked, we hiked. Uh, last year, we were at Philmont climbing up mountains, 14,000 feet elevation, full back, uh, living on the ground for 14 days. Um, it's just amazing. It's truly amazing when you can be there and teach them and watch them grow at their own pace. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing when you observe that. At, yeah, I agree. Well, what does he like? Has he thought about the future as far as what, what his interests are, what he may want to you know, pursue? You know, I have him working here. I call him the director of shredding. He tells me, Dad, could I get a bigger, important job than that? So, um, you know, he wants to be an attorney. And I, th I think he'd be a good one because he's always trying to negotiate with me. Oh, really? He's always, always <laughs> negotiating. He's always trying to be the legal wiggle with me. I think he'd be a good one. But I tell him, I, I said, look. He said, well, Dad, would you get disappointed if I don't join the military? I said, no. I said, the military is not for everyone. And before you raise your hand and say, I do, and I promise to uphold the law, you need to understand it's not one of those things you get in and get out. Okay. 
So you have to do it for yourself. And he said, would you be disappointed if I don't come to work for you? I said, well, you see what I do. I'd rather you go work for somebody else first to understand what it means to clock in and clock out and make a paycheck. And then if there's something down the road to possibly, I said, but you need to find your passion. Yeah. Whatever your passion is, find that love and give 110% and everything else will come. I love that. Bob, it's been a beautiful interview. I truly have enjoyed it. Why don't you tell the audience where can they find you as far as website or any social media handles sure. you'd like to share? Uh, you can find us on all the platforms, Clinger Associates or ClingerInsuranceGroup.com. So www.ClingerInsuranceGroup.com. We're located in Germantown, Maryland. But it doesn't really matter where we're located. We can we can come to you 24-7. So when you're, you're, in, the, you're in how many states now? I'm sorry. 19. 19. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, the states I'm not in, I have relationships around the road. Okay. So I can refer you to other agents that are just the same as me, maybe better than me, and those states that can help you out as well. So as I always say, when you think of insurance, think of Clinger Insurance Group, creative insurance solutions for never-changing world. Ah, love it. Thank you again, Bob. No problem. Thank you. God bless. You too. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review and comment and let me know what you think. Thank you, and I'll see you all very soon on the next episode.